Welcome to This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into an opportunity. I'm Vincent Herringer. Every week I talk to entrepreneurs, investors and experts about what they're doing to solve the climate crisis and get New Zealand down to zero emissions by 2050 or sooner. This Climate Business is brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. The Climate Venture Capital Fund is a new venture capital fund that invests in, wait for it, climate. It's the first of its kind in New Zealand and it's just made its maiden investment into Australian energy company MGA Thermal. I'm joined by two of the founders of the fund, Rowan McMahon and Dr Jez Weston. Now, disclosure time, they are my colleagues. I work for this fund so as an advisor. So uh, this is in some ways a promotion, but I will promise to ask hard questions. So welcome, fellas, to this climate business. Kia ora, thanks for having us. Hi there. Uh, I might go to you, Rowan, first. What is venture capital? You know, we hear it a lot. It sounds all very sexy, but what is it? It's really just a generic term for a stage of the capital growth that businesses need to go from coming out of the lab or coming out of the garage and really hitting the mainstream. Um, Lots of businesses need capital to grow. Some of them might just need a bank loan or sort of a generic form of uh, capital financing. But venture capital is a particular layer that's suited for certain kinds of early stage companies. They're ones that typically have a higher level of risk. And in return for taking on that risk, the venture capital investor will be looking for a pretty good return. And this particular fund is a new fund. So we've been out and you've been out, especially uh, trying to raise money. Who, who do you get money from to then go and invest in those new startups and core businesses? Well, a variety of different parties are pretty interested in the idea of climate investment and this particular asset class being venture capital is proving appealing to a range of different people from high net worth individuals and some some family offices right through to some institutions and we, we have interest from some non-government organisations and philanthropists and some corporations and some iwi. So it's uh, really quite a broad range. Mm, interesting. Okay, well, you have made your first investment, which is very exciting. Uh, tell us about that investment, Jez. What the MGA Thermal, what does it do? Uh, the way I've been describing this is like chocolate chip cookies, but the, the chocolate parts are, are molten aluminium. Um they have these energy storage blocks. They don't sound very tasty, to be frank. You would not want to be chewing on these. They're a little bit too hot for that. Um, but yeah, so if you've got a lot of uh, renewable energy, renewable electricity, let's say you're in Australia and the sun's shining, there's a lot of solar power. Um, the power price in regularly at midday is going negative. So people will, these generators will pay you money if you can take that electricity away. And MGA Thermal's locks allow you to do exactly that. You can get paid to take electricity in. You use that, you heat up the blocks, it melts the aluminium. Um, the blocks themselves don't make, melt, they just, the aluminium is all contained. Um, and then you can store that energy for later on. So when it comes to the you know 6 p.m. evening peak, when it gets home and turns on their you know, cookers and heat pumps and so on, then you can extract that energy back again, um, get paid a much higher price to, to sell it. And you know, the emissions advantage there is that you can match renewable power 
um, you know, very low carbon power, with, which is generated you know, whenever the sun is shining or the wind's blowing, you can match that with when people want electricity, mm. and that knocks off the, uh, the coal and the gas picking plants. Huh. So it's a, a win all round. The blocks are described as shoebox size, which seems like a miracle if you can be replacing coal with something the size of a shoebox. But t- tell us about, is it, presumably you can stack these blocks together. And w- oh, yes. And, and why do they not melt when you heat them up to your 600, 700 degrees Celsius? These, these blocks are modular. You can use as many as you like. And for something like, you know, uh, storing grid levels of energy, you'll be, like, filling whole shipping containers with them hmm. um, and then maybe using, like, tens of those containers at a, a site. The, the blocks themselves, um, if you imagine a foam, where the foam material is graphite, which hmm. is really stable and inert, and then all the pores are filled with aluminium. The aluminium melts, but it stays in the, in, in, in the pores, doesn't react with the graphite at all. And one of the great advantages of using this graphite is it's, it's very, as well as being stable, it's very high thermal conductivity, which means you can get the heat in and out really quite fast. So that's a really big advantage over um, other approaches of doing this. Rowan was telling me that the a facility like Huntley, which uses obviously coal to fire up uh, turbines, or at least fires up, steam, creates steam which drive turbines, is is actually set up that these blocks could re- replace coal to heat up the steam. Is that right? Could it could it go in and retrofit existing coal fired facilities? Exactly. For something like Huntley, um, you know, we can't be keep burning coal. That's gonna that's a terrible, terrible idea. It's gonna ruin our climate. So we've got to stop doing that. But at the same time, something like Huntley, you've got um, some really expensive generating equipment there. Like they've got some 250 megawatt uh, electricity turbines that turn steam into electricity. Those cost what 150 million dollars each. So we want to be able to reuse all of those parts mm. while taking away the part that burns coal. So you would take the part that burns coal, you would replace it with a great big stack of these blocks. Uh, When you've got spare electricity, because the wind's blowing hard, then you use that to heat up the blocks. And then when you want the electricity back, you just run steam through pipes in the blocks. Um, That heats up. And one of the reasons, the reason they're using aluminium is because that gives you steam at exactly the right temperature that the, the turbines want. So from their point of view, it's no different. Steam goes in, electricity comes out, you can power Auckland. Hmm. Rowan, um, this would seem like an absolute gift to, I think it's Genesis, is it, that owns um, Huntley. Have you or MGA Thermal approached Genesis or other other coal users? Uh, MGA Thermal is in conversation with about five customers around the world. They haven't got any New Zealand customers as yet. Uh, We would anticipate that they might like to have a conversation with Genesis and we'd be very happy to facilitate that for them. Mm -hmm. Um, You'd hope that they would take a real interest in it. And of course... Are you listening, Genesis, (laughs) Mr. Genesis? And of course, this year we've been burning coal at a a record level, at least for the last... um, I think it's the dry. It was the driest summer and driest winter since 2007, mm. I believe. So um, 
it is a problem uh, and it's, it's been exacerbated by the lack of gas supply in the North Island. So we're burning more coal than ever. Mm. Um, this wouldn't be the only um, source of uh, renewable storage. Uh, for, for instance, we've, we've heard about the, um, uh, the Onslow Dam idea and being explored in the South Island where uh, two different lakes uh, are used to, the differential is used to create, um, you know, fall water and which drives a turbine and then when power is cheap, it gets pumped back up again. Is it technology like this that you're talking about, the MGA thermal, is that additional to the Onslows of this world or is it actually indeed a replacement? I think we're going to need a whole bunch of different kinds of storage because we're going to have more and more renewables um, so we're going to need to store that um, and different kinds of storage are good at different kinds of things. Mm. So a lot of people are, a lot of systems around the world are going for lithium batteries. Now these are still pretty expensive and they use a lot of you know, conflict minerals, and they're, they're, it, the, the price is coming down, but I think it, it's not going to go down incredibly low. But those can respond in literally a millisecond. It can go from like zero to 100% straight away. So if you're looking at fault recovery, then that's great. Um, pumped hydro, then yes, you can do storage for a whole season. Um, and it's, it's really cheap once you've built them, but they tend to come in, you know, billion-dollar chunks. And that mm. kind of project takes a while to build. Um, and so this fits, MGA Thermal fits really nicely in the middle. Um, it's good for sort of daily storage. Um, you can turn it on in sort of 15 minutes or so. So that's a good fit with, with planned um, or expected, you know, peak in, peaks in power. Um, it's, it's very cheap. It's as far as we can tell, it's going to be very durable and reliable. Um, and it does become a question, though, for what kind of storage is really going to work for New Zealand. Like I said, we'll see some batteries. Whether we'll ever get around to building Lake Onslow, I mean, that's a 10, 15-year project. And in that time, we could also just build a lot of solar and a lot of wind, overbuild the wind, and then use this for, for storage Hmm. That might be a cheaper solution overall. It's worth exploring that. Mm. It seems that the answer to addressing climate change is never one thing, Rowan. It's a whole multitude of, of things. Is that what the fund is about? It, or, or is it really focused on breakthrough technologies? I don't think, I'm not a believer in magic solutions. And the problem with the fossil fuel economy is that the emissions are in every industry, in virtually every product that we buy. And therefore, to decarbonise, we need to change virtually everything about everything. Um, so to some extent, I, I hope that our fund can help to invest in a range of different technologies that can play a, a, a role in those different emission categories. But there are a few common themes. And so when you're thinking about MGA Thermal, for example, there's going to be a lot more demand for electricity um, as we move from um, over towards EVs, for example. And so things that um, address that in terms of improved renewable supply, um, greater grid resilience and um, uh, improved energy storage are clearly going to be in a good space. Mm. There are so many uh, gnarly problems that face New Zealand in terms of an emissions profile and probably top of those would be methane and agricultural emissions. Have you seen anything in your pipeline that excites you around agriculture and in particular methane? 
Methane is a really uh, difficult um, topic. It's, it's treated concessionally in the government's uh, regulatory scheme. And so it doesn't, when we say net zero, uh, the language that's being used by the government is uh, not quite accurate because it's net zero in terms of uh, carbon dioxide and nitrous oxide, but not in terms of methane. So it's, it's, um, it's a little bit cute on that front, I'd say. Mm. Um, we have been looking at um, some methane um, reducing technologies and Jez might like to comment on them, but um, it would be fair to say that uh, there are lots of people looking in that space and they need to keep looking because it is such a large category of emissions that it's unthinkable that you could not be looking there, um, but we haven't found quite the answer we're looking for. Jez, mm. have you found anything that excites, excites you? I've definitely found a lot of um, possibilities. Quite a few of those are fairly far from markets. Um, I mean, even just for cattle, you're looking at uh, better breeding, different feeds, methane vaccines, supplements, um, and better herd management and and manure management. Um, All of those have potential. There are, but it's agriculture, there are no silver bullets. Um, So we are finding better opportunities outside of agriculture, but agriculture will still have to play its role. Mm. Do you mean better opportunities that displace agriculture as a protein source? Uh, I didn't mean that, but that is one of the things that, you know, globally is is a really big shift um, to plant and other sources of protein. I think New Zealand is pretty behind the the curve on that. Um, I think Chile has just had its first uh, unicorn, you know, a billion-dollar company called the Knot Company, and they do products called Knot Meat, you know, Knot Burger, Knot Mayo, Knot Milk. Um, uh, you've only got to look at your own supermarket shelves to see how many plant-based milks are taking that market. Mm. Uh, and to my mind, that's quite a big risk for the New Zealand economy. Mm. Tell me about the fund itself. You have uh, structured it in quite an interesting way. There's, there's an expectation of a return, like a typical venture capital return, which would, what, be 20%? return on investment would be the expectation? That's roughly the expectation, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you come from a, a, a trusted place from the Punakaiki Fund, which is a, a technology fund that has more or less returned a similar kind of profile. Um, but there's a second aspect to this fund, isn't there, which is about emissions reduction. Tell me about that. Absolutely. The, um, every investment that the Climate Venture Capital Fund makes will have a provable case for emissions reduction. So one of two things will happen with each firm. Some of them may fail because that does happen with venture capital and you are talking about taking risks in order to get uh, great returns. And if that's the case, then you end up with a, a pretty lousy investment and a pretty lousy result for emissions, but at least you haven't made the, the picture worse. Obviously, the more positive story that we're looking for is a positive uh, result in terms of the commercial return because the business has been successful and that there would um, secondly be a pretty tight causal linkage from that business success to emissions reduction. It doesn't necessarily have to be a a direct link, we will see lots of substitution effects in the economy. For example, if someone were to make a great use of MGA Thermal's blocks and that person is not a, a you know, a coal-fired gas uh, power station but happens to put a coal-fired power station out of business, uh, that wouldn't be no particular skin off our nose, if you like. We would have mm. that provable emissions reduction result. 
Um, so yeah, it is an unusual fund in that we have got that very tight linkage, and we hope that that's appealing to investors because uh, you know there are there is a level of greenwashing in some of things, some funds and and investments that are out there in the market, and uh, people you know should be, in my opinion voting with their feet and with their dollars towards um, actual climate action. Jeez, you're a scientist yourself. How do you uh, avoid – how is the fund going to maintain its integrity around this ambition for emissions reduction? Well, we've been very public about uh, what we're trying to achieve here. Um, our investors will hold us to that. And we have put in place a climate impact committee – which is five very, very smart people, and they have the right to veto any of our investments. If they don't think the carbon impact is good enough, they can say no. And they also help us um, help the companies we invest in understand their carbon impacts, put in place you know, reporting frameworks and targets and so on. So we are, we are you know, putting some real heft behind um, what we're trying to achieve here. So that's remarkable. You're saying that even if you find a company that you like, it meets your um, criteria for financial return, you think it's going to have an emissions impact, and they don't like it, they can actually veto your decision. Absolutely, yeah. We need, you know, you, you need people to say to you, look, here are your, here, here are your stated principles, how are you living up to them? Um, and yeah, we do that ourselves, but we also make sure that the other people can hold us to that. So in that sense, it's a, it's a, almost an impact fund, but uh, still has that aspect of commercial return. If you do uh, choose to invest with the Climate Venture Capital Fund, you can feel very confident that um, emissions reductions is absolutely at the core of what we're doing. Why did you go for venture capital? You could have gone with an impact fund, and we're, we're kind of familiar with impact funds. We had John Berry on the show not so long ago telling us about uh, his his um, success in, in uh, impact and also in, in ethical investing. Why did you set yourself also the bar of having to have a financial return? My belief personally is that there's more uh, capital available by doing that, and that's going to give us more impact, if you like. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other funds out there that are doing concessional return for in return for that impact, and we would see ourselves as being good partners for those sorts of funds. Um, a lot of what's going to be needed to address climate change is actually layers of capital. It's not that there's any one form of capital that's going to solve the problem. Um, each part of the capital structure of the marketplace is going to have a role to play from green bonds to equity and over into the um, private asset classes. For example, as venture capital firms get larger, they'll become attractive to private equity, um, which is not our skill set. So I I guess it's a long way of answering your question, but essentially we've chosen to do the thing that we think we're good at. Mm. Why has this taken so long? Because it seems to me that New Zealand is a laggard in this regard. I see a lot of coverage of green investment internationally. I see venture capital funds flourishing, particularly in the States, around sustainability and and climate and tech in particular. What's what's held New Zealand back? And I've seen the struggle that you you guys have had in um, uh, you know in raising this money. It, it's hard yakka. What what's the problem? Not your problem, New Zealand's problem. (laughs) A lot of um, people in industries here have said that dealing with climate change is too hard and they've really pushed that that line. 
and that's been quite a effective argument in 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 delaying um, action. And now we've got to the point where that action really is urgent. Uh, everyone's got it's very clear that we've got to uh, get on with it. Um, we are, I think, the first people to to, to get going. Um, we know there's plenty of other um, investors, uh, plenty of other VCs who are considering this. And frankly, we would we would welcome that that shift. To my mind, the climate investment is a specific thing right now, but that's going to rapidly change because the entire economy has to shift. The entire economy has to transition to mm. a zero carbon economy for the 21st century. And that means that all of the investment has to shift too. So we, we look forward to everybody else catching up with us. Mm. You talk about, there's a great line on the website and in your deck that you, you wrote, this is the the most predictable revolution. What's predictable about it, Ron? Well, what's predictable about it is that the consequences of not getting this right are pretty horrendous. And so there is a shift that's already pretty strongly evident through government action, through businesses, uh, through public sentiment, including our, our young people, our climate strikers, who want to see us get on with this. And because we have ridden the emissions curve up for so long and so far, now the action to decarbonise, to reduce emissions, has to be disproportionately steep. The curve going up was too steep and too long, and now it's like a roller coaster. It has to go down the other way. And so to us that is predictable because a three to four degree or even worse uh, sort of outcome for the world is not something that um, we think any government can really um, stand by and watch happen, and the, the public won't let them. Hmm. Um, we're about to see, starting from next Monday, the initial releases of the assessment report six for the IPCC, and uh, that's leading into the COP26 process at the end of the year. So the next level of kind of government to government consideration of the implications of climate is about to kind of become public, hmm. and there's every indication that um, the the story is getting worse before it gets better. Um, and that's just going to make things more urgent. Jez, mm. what's your own journey into this? Like Rowan, you had a successful career as a scientist and as an analyst. I think you work in your day job. You you work uh, advising government. Uh, why did you choose to throw in your lot into the sort of high-risk, hard-work, uh, long journey into venture capital? To me, it's the best opportunity to to use the skills that I've got, um, and and really deliver a a difference at scale. I spent quite a long time working for the Royal Society of New Zealand, organising advice from scientists to the government about climate change. We did work on sea level rise, ocean acidification, um, geoengineering, all sorts. And you can only spend so long writing reports saying someone should do something <laughs> before you actually suddenly realize, actually, you are that person. Mm. You should get on with it. So that's why I'm here. I think it's probably similar for me, really. You know, sometimes you're on the balcony looking at the dance floor and you realize that you need to be on the dance floor. Uh, this is something that we have a responsibility to do something about, but also a fantastic opportunity to realize if we do so. Mm. And there's kind of a dual ambition here isn't there that, that you, you think you can make a buck as well as 
uh, get the world back on track with this trans- transition into a low emissions economy. Can you serve two masters? I think you can in this case because they're effectively one master. You're basically trying to build great businesses. And if you do that, you know that the people you're investing with are going to um, to achieve that emissions reduction result. You know, I, I'm not um, uh, grand enough to claim that we'll have a massive impact with this because there is so much to be done by so many people around the world. But if we were to create or to help to create, you know, an, a, a few ex- exportable technologies that had um, real potential, uh, companies like MGA Thermal, I think that would be a great, great result. Mm. I'm actually going to go beyond that and say I think that we can serve three masters. There's, there's the financial returns, there's the impact upon emissions, but also just some of these technologies are just really interesting technologies. And I think you know, MGA Thermal, I have very rarely come across a, a technology with so much potential um, that I, you know, I'm kind of annoyed I didn't think of that one myself. Uh, it's, 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 it's a really great idea. And there's a few of the other um, ideas that we're looking at that are, are based on these you know, great technologies. And I, I really want to see those have an impact in the world. Mm. How hopeful, uh, Rowan, you just mentioned exportable technologies and the focus of this fund is, is Australasia. Uh, do you see... Uh, New Zealand producing exportable climate tech? I would really like us to do so. Um, Most countries have got similar sorts of emissions problems. Everyone's got a transport problem, for example. We're a bit overweight in agriculture here due to the nature of our economy, but every country's got some agricultural emissions and everyone's got stationary energy issues, uh, the the types of things that MGA Thermal is helping to solve. Um, Everyone's got process heat or manufacturing and waste and so forth. So... Mm. You know, if we could develop that, that would be great. And, you know, you've seen through the last decade or so that New Zealand has really upped its game in terms of the ICT sector and venture has played a really important role in supporting that growth. Why not um, make sure that we do climate tech next? Mm, Interesting. So you've got a long list. I believe there's a a list of 100 or so companies or or projects that interest you. Are you able to um, give us a little tease Tease us with what else might be out there that excites you. I think you should do that, Jez. What's what's the most exciting one for you? <laughs> oh, there's some really interesting ones in transport that I can't really talk about. Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. There's, there's there's none that I'm going to put a a name to. Um, but for instance, right now we have. Creative HQ in Wellington running the uh, Climate Response Accelerator. Um, there's eight really interesting companies going through that right now. Um, we are definitely interested in, in a few of those because we think they've got you know, potential. Some of those are energy, some of those are consumer goods, some of those are the kind of apps that can help you know, make, make better use of infrastructure and so on that we've got right now. Um, so yeah, the, look. As I say this is this climate affects every part of the economy, and every part of the economy there are will need to transition, which means there's opportunities all the way across in in every industry that's out there. You're not going to answer that question, are you, Ron? You can't be drawn. 
there's it's a long list it really is and uh it is in every category so um we i would say that most of them are in new zealand there's a few in australia i feel like it would not be hard to make a longer list if we wanted a longer list mm. we probably have more to look at than we have time and capacity to deal with right now which is a good problem to have um but we would like to to deal with that issue of capacity by uh taking on some more funding that would allow us to address more of these my last question has to do with the philosophy of uh, this venture capital and technology and business as a solution to climate change there's a really strong argument to say actually it was capitalism that propelled us into this uh, coal driven fossil fuel driven madness and we're now experiencing the consequences of that what makes you think that it's capitalism and markets and technology that will get us out or or maybe maybe they won't but you know what gives you the confidence to throw your energies into that as opposed to i don't know remaking the way that we live i would disagree with that one of the premises there um you've only got to look at the industries in the soviet union um to look at just how bad they were at the environmental side there um and to my mind from this point of view there's there's a lot of wrong with capitalism but this is all about how we allocate resources to new technologies um these are the tools we've got for doing that right now uh, i think they work reasonably well you can then have an argument about how the benefits of those technologies uh, and the financial returns get distributed um but we are you know mostly focused with this fund on just getting those technologies out there helping them grow helping them scale providing a return and massively reducing emissions having said that um i agree with what jess said but there are also massive um equity issues around a climate response and climate response done without consideration of those effects on people particularly vulnerable communities would be a real mistake um there's a risk that a climate response simply turns off whole industries and whole sectors and that could cost a lot of jobs it could mm. create the zombie towns of the that one reads about um but also it could leave people without power for example um so you know if if your solution to turning off coal is to leave people with cold homes that's not a good answer um so some of the solutions that we're looking at can actually provide that bridge to a cleaner future which is one of the things that we're excited about mm your what you're talking about what you're both talking about is another level of responsibility that probably falls to governments right or to uh, civil institutions um well yes but i think it falls to businesses as well i mean you know if you look at the sustainable development goals we're all about climate action which is sdg number 13 but if you are tra- taking a true sort of esg viewpoint the sort of thing that john berry would would recommend to you you don't get out of you don't get to opt out of the other 16 sustainable development goals and if you have cross impacts on those then you should be weighing those up as part of your business decisions and again we'd expect our climate impact committee to help us uh, to hold us to account on some of those sorts of things whether it's um impacts on biodiversity impacts on water quality impacts on um inequality in the economy things like that mm. the wholesale commitment to fossil fuels seemed logical at the time it is a you know the the carbon is a terrific uh well um 
What are they? What's at the heart of a fossil fuel? Is a um, hydrocarbon. Is a hydrocarbon. Thank you. Uh, is a is a powerful uh, energy source. There were unintended consequences. Do you anticipate unintended consequences from this shift to a low emissions economy? And are there mitigations that you think need to be done? I certainly think there are going to be both intended consequences and unintended consequences and well-designed projects will be putting effort into the planning process to make sure that those consequences are thought about. So, for example, in the um, battery uh, space and in the renewable energy space, people are thinking very actively now about how they make sure that those products that they are bringing to market actually have a, uh, a good use at the end of their lifespan or a, or a second life, if you like. If you take the example of the MGA thermal composite blocks, they're, they're entirely recyclable at the end of their life. Mm. And they have a 30-year life, which is a very generous lifespan. Um, so that's a good example of something where that future-proofing has been thought about. Mm. Jez? Definitely. And while we have a very strong focus on the carbon emissions, the carbon impact, then, yeah, we need to look at the whole ESG uh, lens across everything we do. One of the questions that, that came up when we were looking at um, MGA is that supply chain risk, you know, do, do they use conflict minerals? Where is the aluminium sourced from? Can mm. it be done using recycled material, aluminium? And, yeah, yes, it can. Uh, and, and so one of the other purposes of, of um, our Climate Impact Committee is, is to ask us all of those questions. What are the impact on jobs? That's always a question that's going to... Um, come up? What's the impact on local communities? How does this change water use? There's a lot of questions to cover. Um, and if there are you know, downsides, then those need to be mitigated because you know, business is, is, is more and more complicated and it's trying to deliver against more and more goals. Mm. So it's not just enough to say that, look, hey, this is great and it's going to save money. Um, it, you know, this is the 21st century and we've got to deal with these kind of complex situations mm. because the world's just, you know, the world's complicated and, and, and interconnected. So we need to deal with that. That, that sense of interconnection really comes out in the current forestry uh, experience in New Zealand where this rush to um, plant Pinus radiata seems at one level a who doesn't want to plant trees? You know, trees are a terrific carbon sink, and uh, one one tree is is probably you know less f fewer cattle. Um, but the unintended consequences are uh, the way we are planting this monocrop that has uh, you know there's a pest risk, there's a fire risk, uh, and down the line, you know, we may be regretting some of those decisions. So you, are you saying that your fund and this committee will will have the ability to foresee some of you know, who, who can see the future, but that that's what you're expecting out of your decision-making? Yeah, I mean, we need to be looking ahead for the life of these projects and, and beyond. Um, something like, you know, MGA Thermal, then that's going to be a sort of you know, industrial installation, the... Off-site impacts are, are pretty small. The manufacturing impacts are also pretty pretty small. Um, something like forestry, then, yeah, you're absolutely correct. There's a whole bunch of other risks. Uh, you didn't mention windstorm risk. That's another potential one. Hmm. 
uh, New Zealand's going to be going hard out for um, offsets through just storing up carbon in, in trees. And that's that's a pretty low-cost approach, but it's also a, a risky approach of getting our um, net emissions down. And we really still need to focus on getting those gross emissions down so that we don't have those kinds of net risks. If people want to get involved in the fund, uh, can they? Can, can ordinary people get involved in this, Rowan? Of course they can. Um, it is a wholesale investment proposition and we are required to make sure that uh, in, in people who are interested in investing are do meet the criteria for being wholesale investors mm -hmm. under the uh, Financial Markets Conduct Act. Um, and so there is a minimum investment and uh, people need to you know, tick some boxes that they are of that size or sophistication where they can cope with that. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a little bit different from Punakaki Fund, which has a regular retail offer and a much lower price of entry, if you like. Mm. Uh, but having said that, we're, um, we're very open to those conversations. Fantastic. Uh, and so how do they get hold of you? I think they should uh, hit us up on our website in the first instance. Uh, which I think, uh, I wrote it, I should know, is it Climate Venture Capital Fund? I think it's climatevcfund.com. Oh, there you go. Excellent. Well, Rowan McMahon and uh, Dr. Jez Weston, great having you on the show. All the best with the fund. Uh, another investment coming up soon. Who knows? We hope. Uh, but uh, thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks very much. It's been fun to be along. Great, guys. Awesome. Do we pass? Th thank you. Okay. <sighs> cheers. Yeah, you did, did did very well. I really enjoyed that. And um, no prep. So, you, you know, a few curly ones. That's a really fascinating question about the whole the capitalism thing because I was we could riff on that for ages. But you know, you look at oh, the yeah. level of government investment that goes into addressing climate change, like mitigating. That's going to be a shit ton of money. So is that you call that socialism because it's the government, right? On the other side, if they don't put that money in, then you end up spending an even bigger shit on adaptation, right? Do you call that socialism as well? Mm. So it's a, it's a really interesting situation. We're, we're all in this together, it I seems. Yeah, I get that asked that so many times by you know friends in Wellington, and, and, and my general answer, which I didn't go for this time, would be that look, if there was a credible way of getting back to the kind of taxation levels we had in the the thirty glorious years from nineteen fifties to the seventies, um, you know that that's when uh, living standards increased massively more than ever. We had free healthcare, we had free education, and America could afford to go to the moon. Um, if there was a political way of raising taxes that much, I would be all for it. But there isn't, so I'm mm. doing this instead. Mm. And, um, you know, when you think about it as a capitalist type of problem, you know, they, they taught us that the externalities were free. That was in the first economics class, pretty much. And so if they had got that assumption right, this wouldn't be a problem. You know what I mean? Like mm. we basically mm. just, just said, oh, coal, I burn it and nothing happens. Mm. But we've known since 1896 that something was happening. Mm. And so we've had over a century to sort of work out that this is a cost that we're all going to be bearing. The tragedy of the commons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also um, just the tragedy of the missed assumption. I mean, the, there is a cost. It's a tangible cost that you get when you've been free riding on this, uh, on this system. So, you know, it's difficult because it crosses international boundaries and so on. But, mm. um, you know, the, the coal's not free. That, that amazing hydrocarbon 
is not as cheap as it appears, and we're now paying the backside of the bill. Yeah, yeah, and it's going to be expensive. Yeah, good. All right, thanks, chaps. Thanks, Jez. I'm going to hang up. So, um, it's goodbye from him. <laughs> All right, I have to run off. So, yes, thanks very much. Thanks and, a lot. Um, it will be in touch. Okay, Bye. cheers. Thanks, Jez. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to This Climate Business. I hope you enjoyed the program. There are more episodes as well as notes and blogs on our website, thisclimatebusiness.com. I'm Vincent Herringer, and if you know someone who deserves to be interviewed on our show, email me, vincent at thisclimatebusiness.com, or find me on Twitter, vherringer, that's two E's, one R. Meanwhile, I'll be back same time next week, and no hurrah.